everyone. This is the 25th episode of Creative Confidential, and it's lovely to celebrate that with an actor I've worked with many times. He's Chicago-based Yasin Payankov, a member of the unique Steppenwolf Theatre Company. Yasin, originally from Bulgaria, has translated many Russian plays, especially Chekhov. He's also a director and a drama professor at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Yasin, you teach a course in Shakespeare, but I would guess if push comes to shove, you'd say you prefer Chekhov to Shakespeare. Am I right? You're absolutely right. <laughs> I, I no longer teach Shakespeare. Uh, it's been years, but yes, Chekhov is the one I prefer. And you know what? It's not for any other reason than I think I have more competent colleagues who could get into the nitty-gritty of the iambic pentameter. But what I have really enjoyed in teaching Shakespeare, and I have done a number of Shakespeare plays as an actor and as a director, is the opportunity to work on a material that's over 500 years old and to make it relevant. But how does Chekhov trump him for you? I guess it's a cultural thing, probably. As a, as a fellow Slav, um, I really tap into the inner life of Chekhov. And I feel that his, his themes are also universal and constant. And there is a bigger depth of the psychology of his characters. Of course, he lived, you know, several centuries after Shakespeare. And he's considered the father of modern drama and modern acting because he actually got away from the theater styles that were prevalent at the time, which was very declamatory, very presentational. So you've just recently translated and directed a seagull. Is that right? Yeah, I've always been fascinated by this play. Um, I remember reading it in drama school, so I must have been maybe a freshman or a sophomore. And this and was in Sofia. In Sofia, yeah, the National Academy of yeah. Theatre and Film Arts. And I was an acting major, but we had, you know, disciplines like history of Russian theatre, you know, Bulgarian theatre, Western theatre, stuff like that. So I had to read a lot of plays in a very short time. And Siegel was one of them. And I just simply couldn't put it down. And it was the first time I had the urge to direct. And then I just devoured the rest of his plays. And there's just something clicked for me with this guy. And I have, I have been a, a Chekhov, you know, groupie ever since. <laughs> I, I even quite often I say, you know what? If I was sentenced to only work on Chekhov, I'll be fine with it. You know, if they say, Yasin, you cannot do anything else but Chekhov. I'll be like, okay, I'm fine. That's good. So if you were in yeah. solitary and you had all of Chekhov, you'd be okay? I'll be okay. Yes, I think <laughs> I'll be okay. Do you think he's especially important today because we often all over the world are feeling stuck and that we can't get out of the predicament that we're in? We, we might want to move because we don't like the, the country, the political climate. It, does it resonate for us, especially now, do you think? Of course, of course. And, and the thing is, I mean, in my experience with him now, clocking close to 30 some years, 
I always find something relevant and new. For example, I was never a big fan of Three Sisters. When I was in my 20s, I did not quite understand that play. Mm. And over the years, I have come to love it. I have been in it. I have directed it. And I feel that with age, you find new things that speak to you as a person in this particular time of your life. And often... English language productions are too serious. Yeah, it's true. Yes. And in this translation, I was aiming to do to do it in a it's a definitely an American translation because I wanted to remove any kind of distance between the audience and the text. I have found a lot of contemporary synonyms for things that were relevant during that time. But I have also kept some of his humor, mm. like literally translated. One example that I remember from Ivanov is the character of Sasha is just kind of going off at these young men who are just like stuck and not doing anything. And, and the end of her speech finishes with a sentence which I translated directly from Chekhov. And I always laugh at that sentence. And the audiences have always laughed at that sentence, which is just looking at you, the flies drop dead and the lamps begin to smoke. It's when you think about it, it kind of catches you because you never expect somebody to say this. Yeah. And it takes you a minute. It's like, oh my God, that is just, just looking at you, the lamps begin to smoke and the flies drop dead. You're so fucking boring. Or like in this last one with with Siegel, um, there is this wonderful relationship between the doctor and Soren, whose estate the action takes place on. And Soren always complains about his ailing health, about all the missed opportunities. And something that's relevant, which I find in this age is like, the character of Soren saying, I wanted it to be this. I always wanted to be a writer. It never happened. I always to get, I always wanted to get married. It never happened. I always wanted to live in the city, and here I am dying in the country. But anyway, in the bickering between those two in Act Four, the doctor turns to him and he says, oh, You're such a jackass. And that always had such a great reaction from the audience. The Russian translation of it is Gaveda, which means bull, really, you know. But if you say you're such a bull, it has a different meaning in the mm-hmm. English language. But just finding that one word, you're such a jackass, people totally got it. And you always got a huge laugh and resonance with the audience because it's the way Chekhov builds those intricate relationships that you see those people who are like, They've been, they're kind of close, they're friends. But one of them always says to the other, snap out of it. Right, well, it's kind of like get a life. Get a life, exactly, exactly. (laughs) Maybe that's one of the discoveries for me. Get a life. Get a life, grow up, stop whining. Yeah, Yeah, stop whining, you know. Yeah. I mean, especially in this age, we we complain about so many things now. Mm. We have access to a wealth of information and a wealth of opportunities, and we still bitch and moan about, you know, things where mm. now they're at the fingertips. 
you know, they're at your fingertips. And you're like, seriously, you complain about that? Not everybody's going to become an actor. But I think what is important to get from an acting education is how to communicate with people, how to be yourself, how to learn to listen and how to tap into the honesty about who you are and what you want. Right. Which is actually something that Second City, which is another great Chicago institution, really has made a lot of money out of that they teach bankers and doctors and lawyers and everybody how to project and how to like be confident outwardly how to talk to people and be able to sell them right because that's what we do as actors Mm. i mean the audience the difference between i mean i don't know if it's a difference of similarity but in theater right there is a contract the audience goes in and they know they're going to be lied at right but they accept that they know they're going to be lied to but they were like i'm going to sit and watch and quite often when it's good, they forget that they're being lied to and they start identifying with the... Why with the, do you with, say lied to? Well, because we're not the people who oh. are playing, right? We're pretending. It's all, there is a contract. You go in and you suspend your disbelief. Mm-hmm. The actor also suspends their disbelief that they're not that person. So you're watching me, but you forget that, oh, it's Yasin. It's my friend Yasin I'm watching. No, it's this, it's this other person that I'm watching. And you but buy lie, lie is pretty strong. I know it is a strong word, but, but when you think about it, you know, as actors, you can, you can, yeah, I know. It's, it's make-believe, okay? Yeah. This is a little bit on a serious note. There's quite a lot of antipathy towards Russian culture today. Yeah. Do you feel that that's going to make it quite difficult for you to bring in contemporary Russian plays or, or traditional in the near future? It already is. It already is. It's, it's very difficult. And um, we actually had a situation in the theater where we were asked by a very prominent Ukrainian uh, organization to cancel or postpone the show. And uh, we had to meet with them and explain that anything Chekhov is 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 not somebody who would have ever ever uh, propagated for the events that are happening today if anything he probably would have been like vehemently opposed to it very publicly mm. um, knowing his work and what he wrote when you take war number six which is about the state of mental institutions in imperial russia and then his time on the island of Sakhalin. Uh, where all the convicts lived and he spent three months with them talking to those people and their families, you know that he never had like the rose glasses what Imperial Russia was at the time. And And he was a doctor and he would have signed the Hippocratic Oath or the equivalent and so would be against warfare. Of course. And it's, yes, it is true now that Putin wants to revive Imperial Russia, but nowhere in Chekhov's writings you could find any trace of him advocating, you know, for the regime. If anything, his characters are everyday people. And a lot of them Ukrainians, actually, because his uh, grandmother was Ukrainian. He spoke Ukrainian until the age of five, which I didn't know. You know, I started doing some digging. Yeah. Do they make that clear in the program notes, perhaps? Yeah, I put it there. Yeah, I bet. 
<laughs> so you left Bulgaria just after the East opened up. Why? Well, that was the reason I left Bulgaria, actually. Funny story is the Berlin Wall fell on November 10, 1989. And it was, uh, well, it was the 9th going into the, into the 10th. I think it began on the evening of the 9th. On November 10 was my opening night, my professional debut. So it was the first show that I did after drama school. I was drafted in a state theater and it was my first role. And literally minutes before we went on stage, one of the actresses who was not in the show came in and she said, they just ousted Todor Zhivkov, who was our communist head of state for the last 35 years break a leg and everything <laughs> everything just changed if you remember then the Romanian revolution followed shortly after where they killed Ceausescu where they killed Ceausescu on Christmas day mm-hmm. uh both Ceausescu's Elena and and Nikolai you know the Czechs have already had their velvet revolution the Poles and the Hungarians were also ahead of the curve and then a year later Germany reunited and at that time I looked in literally overnight in Bulgaria, we had, you know, a hundred new parties from a one party, you know, communist party uh, system. There were like, you know, hundreds. And we had our first elections in the month of June of 1990. And the communists won the elections fair and square. Maybe there was, maybe there was some manipulating. I have to believe there was some manipulating, but I feel that a lot of the countryside was simply scared of change and voted for the communists. And of course they blew it big time. And that's when I took my cue that no, I, 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 I cannot stay here. And I had an opportunity to leave for the United States. And that's what propelled my move. Uh, because so the situation there sounds very different. I was in Prague to do some stories after the Velvet Revolution, and I talked to some actors, and they said that they were really looking forward to doing all the kinds of plays that they could never have done before. Yeah, the situation for us was very different because yeah. the theater moved on to the streets, and we had a very different transition period, which was very which was very different from the Czech Republic, from Hungary and from Poland. Um, what happened in our country is um, the communists who were able to hang out to power for at least two more years looted all the money because they were, they were the government. And they started privatizing the economy through people who were like fronts. And they basically gave birth to the mafia. And our country had like a really great beginning of small businesses, which was suffocated by racketeering racketeering and extortion by groups of mafia dudes who were just, they were like weeds. They were just destroying everything. From what I hear, the economic wealth in Bulgaria right now is in the hands of about 500 people, Okay. And this is the country of like six, six and a half million. During my time, which was the first wave of immigration, close to quarter million people in their 20s left the country. 
Wow. And that continued, <laughs> that continued to bleed through the 90s because the 90s were just horrible. Inflation, mafia hits, they're fighting for turf. Now we're in a position where the criminals have legitimized their money. They have become legitimate businessmen, but they're still stifling everything. And it's countries just suffering from corruption and and lack of professionalism because anybody who goes to power starts thinking about themselves and their people first. There was a joke, which was popular in Bulgaria. They say in Italy, the government has problem with the mafia. The state has a problem with the mafia. In Bulgaria, the mafia has a state. Yeah, wow. And yet you went back to Sofia to do August Osage County, the play written by your friend and colleague, Tracy Letts. Was that the first time you went back to do something quite such of stupendous? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 2010. Yeah, 20 years after my immigrating from Bulgaria, I went back to work at the National. And I have quite a few friends from drama school, like people I went to. We were in the same class for four years. And it was one of the most extraordinary experiences that I have had. And I, I loved working there. I mean, obviously, there were a lot of uh, hurdles uh, that I had to overcome, but it was a great experience to, to bring that play and to see it work in Bulgarian. Because it's such a universal play, because it's a Titanic of a play, because it's about family and family relates to everybody. Are those some of the reasons why you felt that it would absolutely work? Yeah, totally. I knew that anybody could relate to that play and I wanted to do a contemporary American play. You know, people really took very well to it. Bulgarians are talented people, and that's that, that's why it kills me that our politicians are not at the level of the people of the country who right. they represent. I'm sure that the drama school that you went to had a real sense of discipline and a real sense of a mission in the world of culture, and that there's a lot of subsidized theater that you had growing up and ensemble theater. So does Stepanov kind of, is that a good fit for you because it marries a lot of your cultural tradition? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I'm very close to a lot of original members of the theater and I'm, Jeff Perry, who's one of the founders, um, is a very good friend of mine. And I have said that to him. It's a miracle that... Um, I came from the other part of the world and joined the ensemble, but Stepanov is everything that we were taught to become. Mm -hmm. Fiercely devoted to the craft of acting and creating a group of people, like-minded people who work together. 
And in my time in drama school, there was many, many times you would hear about the theater in Plovdiv or the theater in Pazerjik, where a group of like six or seven people and a director from the same graduating class go to regional theater and boom, there's an explosion. Something happens there. And inevitably, they all get drafted back to Sofia because that's where, you know, the big theaters and the money is. But that culture, it is about the actor because without the actor, you don't have anything. You could take everything away from the theater. One thing you cannot take away is the actor and the audience. You have to have at least one person doing something and another person watching that person doing something. That's basically the the definition of theater, right? And not a star system. You no, would not no. you would not have come from a star system tradition. No, no, no. We didn't. And those guys from Step Home, they did not. I mean, they exactly. became stars because they were so good that they created art which was noticed. Especially but when Gary Sinise and, and Perry started, they were working in a basement. Yeah, yeah. They started, I mean, they were like they were buddies in high school who wanted to do plays together. You know, they were inspired by their high school drama teacher and they had a go at it. And then, you know, John Malkovich joined not that long afterwards. Is he of all the Steppenwolf alums, the, the star of stars, do you think? I would certainly probably say that John is the most enigmatic star that we've ever had. A lot of people in the ensemble credit him as the inspiration for their art because John brought something which was out of the box, unexpected, compelling, not always explainable, but truly organic and fascinating to watch in his acting choices, in his career as an actor and a director, fashion designer as well, I think that he, he's an outlier who, who has always had a tremendous curiosity about everything in the world. I mean, him and I, I mean, he's met politicians. He's like met with the president of Croatia. And, and I mean, he travels all over. He talks to everybody. But there's just something about his, his presence, his energy, and his unexpected way of looking at things and making art out of them has always been something that is kind of the magic of Stepon, the thing that you cannot explain. It's just like, I can't take my eyes off this thing. There's something maverick. Yeah. It's a pity more people can't see the work of Steppenwolf, I think. It's a pity that it doesn't travel more. But on the other hand, it has a really, really loyal following in Chicago. It does. And I know, I mean, that's what I've been talking to uh, about to our current artistic leaders. You know, we've, we've been in England, we've been in Australia, but we've never been in Central or Eastern Europe. So that's why I really want to push through with this partnership with the national in bulgaria i 
I interviewed a, a Russian actor on this podcast not that long ago, and he was talking about how he gets typecast as a thug. But you, on Madam Secretary, were a politician, right? Do you? So you don't often get thug roles. I do often get thug roles. Oh. Yeah, I do. Madam <laughs> Secretary. I, I there have been there have been several exceptions. Madam Secretary being one of them. Also, there is an upcoming movie now which uh, Bradley Cooper directed, co-wrote, and he's starring as Leonard Bernstein in Maestro, which mm. is probably going to open next year. And Bradley cast me as his mentor, this Russian Jewish conductor who started Tanglewood in Massachusetts. And that's how they met with uh, Leonard Bernstein. And I had an amazing time working with Bradley Cooper. Wow, what a brilliant artist he is. But I actually learned how to conduct for this role, which was fascinating, you know. Uh, but unfortunately, Hollywood is Hollywood. And many times they just go for the cliches. And I cannot tell you the number of times I have either ended up being killed at the end of the show or in handcuffs you know but aren't you in a position now to say no more thugs well no not really because the money is good and i'm not in a position where i can turn down well-paying jobs and i want to do more film and tv because i still feel even though i have done Actually, I just looked it up the other day. I've been in 16 films and 18 TV shows. I still, I still want to do more film and TV work that has characters with a full arc, with great storylines. And I want mm -hmm. to explore that, that, that side of my craft, you know? And, and I have, especially during... Madam Secretary, because I ended up doing 15 episodes on that show over a period of four seasons. My friend, we have had a difficult year together. So let's talk common ground then, because in the past year, we've also found that. Nuclear de-escalation. No one ever thought it could be done. But we agreed to take our intercontinental ballistic missiles over the hair trigger alert system. And the world is safer. It is. And yet here we are, Constantine hours away from a showdown between our two fleets. And if somebody fires a shot, if intentions are slightly misread... What do you propose? That we set an example for our proxies. Instead of them provoking us, we provoke them. You want us to join you in signing on to the cluster bomb ban? A public display of cooperation. A gesture that sets the stage for us to jointly pull back our fleets. And it was really great to work on character that has a long arc and, and is not a guest star or one-time deal where you could just develop the character and, and also find my, my own way of working in this medium. It, it's just that process is still really that is something I'm figuring out and I think I'm getting better at it. And, and as an artist, I just am itching to explore it more. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so much more interesting stuff being written for streaming that it seems like there's lots of opportunities. I know, I know. And it's, I think now is the time, you know, and I'm kind of like, I'm just kind of trying to get on the last trains here. 
<laughs> well, good luck to you. Thank you so much. Where can people find you? They can find me. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I don't have Instagram. I don't have Facebook. You know, I'm not on social media and I don't have a website, like I mentioned, but Steppenwolf has all my information. UIC has all my information. So anybody could get in touch with me. Um, Active Pitch is another thing where they can see snippets of my work. I'm represented by um, innovative artists. It's a great uh, agency. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Yasin, very, very much. That was great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Creative Confidential. I'm Jude Kempfner, podcaster and coach. If you'd like my help or you know somebody who should be on the show, please get in touch. You can email me at jude at judekampfner.com. Our theme music is by a Russian, Jean Fritzka. Thanks to my producer, Mark McDonald at Bergdale Media. See you next time. Mm-hmm.